Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We're used to being told that we can do anything, that we can make our dreams come true, that if we put our mind to it and work hard, we'll succeed. Of course, if it were easy, we'd all be statically happy and fabulously wealthy. The truth is that no matter how much we want something, getting it means overcoming obstacles. Sometimes those barriers are real, like glass ceilings or economic downturns, but just as often, the biggest obstacle to our success is ourselves, or simply fear. Most of the research agrees that the second biggest fear we all have after the fear of flying is the fear of public speaking. And yet public speaking is an essential business skill, whether you're making a PowerPoint presentation to the boss or making a point to colleagues at a business lunch like this, you have to be able to communicate effectively. Toastmasters is an organization dedicated to imparting the skills of public speaking. There are over 15,000 Toastmaster clubs in 135 countries. 25 of those clubs are right here in New Orleans. Jeff Harris is a New Orleanian with the title of Distinguished Toastmaster. Jeff, welcome out to lunch. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mandevillian, actually. Oh, really? Okay, yes, that's, that's the, across the, the more leg specific. Part. Further down the list of fears, at number seven is fear of failure. If this was a list of fears that trip us up in business alone and didn't include things like fear of heights and spiders, fear of failure might be close behind public speaking. Being able to know what we want and having the self-confidence to go get it are qualities that can be hard to master. In the 1960s, folks loosely associated with the banner of the human potential movement began developing techniques to overcome the impediments that prevent us from reaching our life goals. Out of that, the profession of life coaching was born. Allie Duffy is a master certified life coach here in New Orleans. Allie, welcome out to lunch. Thank you so much. Now, Jeff, Toastmaster's aim is to give people what are probably the most fundamental skills in business, in the organization's own words, to empower individuals to become more effective communicators and leaders. There are endless testimonials about effective Toastmaster techniques and training, but Toastmasters itself is not a traditional business. It's a not-profit um, educational organization that operates clubs and meet in places like public libraries and offices and, mm -hmm. and universities. If the Toastmasters method is so effective, why is it given away for free? actually not given away for free. There's a small membership charge and a monthly meeting charge, but Pretty essentially nominal. compared to others, it's a fairly nominal cost. And uh, now there's others like Dale Carnegie, for instance, uh, they charge quite a bit. It's a significant increase compared to the cost of a Toastmasters meeting. But in particular, the big skill that we're hoping that people will get is that self-confidence that comes from the repetition that you get at these meetings. What is a meeting like? I think a lot of people are apprehensive about going. Typical meeting once a week, about an hour. There are prepared speeches. The Toastmaster is more like the master of ceremonies. It keeps the meeting flowing so that you can get a lot accomplished. There are impromptu speaking. Folks refer to that as table topics, sort of what you might do later so when you're answering questions. They might stand up and not know what they're going to have to address, and you would just give it to them. So one person asks 
a series of questions and asks each individual to stand up, answer that for about a minute to two minutes. The prepared speeches are five to seven minutes or such. And then the best part, the most unique part about a Toastmasters meeting is you're evaluated by an individual. So you don't have to go home wondering how you did. At least one other person's going to spend three to five, two to three minutes talking to you about how you could improve that speech. And what are those uh, evaluations like? It's not subjective, they're looking at uh, It's very much things? like that sandwich approach, but they're also looking at what's the skill that you're exhibiting well or poorly, and what could you do to improve that. And then we also evaluate the entire meeting so that the whole process of spending time for that hour becomes more effective and more efficient. Now the only job I've ever been given, I was an um counter. And that's, that's one of the jobs, right? They it's an idea awareness raising, much the same as Life Coach. It's a way to show people what their pause filler word is. Lots of folks are different. Mine is so. You and I are both from the East Coast, so yeah. we were taught how to not take a breath while you're talking so that no one will come in and interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> and so will fill that gap. <laughs> what are some of the others? So my daughters are like, if you know, like so, oh, they, they yeah, add a right, whole like. bunch. But um, but, you know, like things like what that. You, and everyone's is pretty much different. What do you say to somebody that says, you know, I'll never be given a speech to 8,000 people in an arena. Why? Um, we hear public speaking, that's what we think of. What would you tell them? I would say you interact with your spouse and your children every day, and that could be more effective. Just ask my spouse. And then at work, <laughs> you have meetings, you have environments like this. Any of those communications don't have to be 200, 500 people, 1,000 like you're doing, but rather just one-to-one -one correspondence, one-to-one -one talking with people. Now, Allie, life coach is a term most of us may not be as familiar with as, say, psychologist, career counselor, or financial advisor. Typically, we go see a financial advisor when things are going well and we have some disposable income. We go see a psychologist when things might not be going so well. And we go to a career counselor when we're uncertain about where to turn at work. At what point in their life do people typically go to a life coach? Or when would a client typically engage you? Nobody necessarily absolutely needs a coach. You could be an athlete and do really well by yourself. But if you want to get to the Olympics or if you want to get to Wimbledon, you might consider getting a coach because they will help you to maximize your potential. So that's really what it's about. So we deal with people who um, their lives are, you know, their lives are tootling along quite nicely, but th they realize that they're, they're looking for more. And well, say somebody comes in, what's the first sentence that you usually get from somebody? That I get? Yeah. Is it? You know, it varies I'm enormously. I'm kind of stuck at, at I'm a plateau. Stuck is a huge one, yeah. And really often what people come with initially is not what turns out to be the actual issue, you know. Really? And what, what it really often turns out to be is so much deeper. It's so much more about their dreams actually needing resurrection, you know. The thing that they always really wanted to do with their life that they have realized they're not doing and they feel that they're just not able to move forward. Because do you have a couch? I do not have it a couch. Like I, yeah, I, mostly, I mostly I can get coach, you a coach on the phone, actually. So I don't actually... Oh, I, really? I'm that's a lot the of couch. the couch. Yeah, but oh. they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me an idea of some uh, uh, industries or positions that are typical that, that come to you. Okay. Uh, I deal with a lot of people in the media and the arts, because that's my background. I have a background in television production. And I deal with a lot of people who are working in those creative fields and, you know, where one's ego is so deeply kind of tied up with 
with what you do because it's you being creative. So writers, photographers, filmmakers, musicians, a lot, those are a lot of the people By I By the deal way, with. is that healthy or unhealthy that you, know, you view yourself as uh, you know, what you do? You know, it depends. It depends whether what you do is coming from your true essential self or from some socialized version of you. And that's one of the things, one of the kind of first things that we deal with with clients is, you know, where, where you are living, what you're doing with your life, is it true to you? Is it actually the essential you being expressed? And in if your it work? isn't, should you look for something else or are you fine you to? You know, what you should do is not just go out and look in the one ads, you should actually drill down and that's where a life coach can help you by drilling down into, you know, what is it that's holding you back? from living the life you really want. What are your actual dreams and desires, really? Have some people forgotten? They've been so busy in the weeds. I think that is one of the most common things that comes. Yeah, people just don't know how they got here. They look at their life and they say, how did I get here? This wasn't what I wanted, you know? And the way you describe it is broader than I anticipated. So what's the difference between a coach and a therapist? We're dealing more with the future. We're looking at how you got to where you are, but then we're looking at how you're going to move forward. And therapy sometimes does that, but not always. You know, sometimes therapy is just trying to go back and heal the past. And coaching is very much about starting now and moving forward. Now, Ali, you're, uh, you know, Jeff is a not-for-profit. You're a for-profit. How do you charge people? I I read somewhere that you have a minimum of six meetings to make sure you can get get done what needs to be done. Um, yeah. Do you charge per hour or what, what else? You know, I do charge per hour currently, but actually what's interesting to me is that this is not about the hour. This is about what you can achieve. To me, what coaching is about is the difference between the future you're going to have, your default future without coaching, and the future you can achieve with coaching. So in that gap is what the payment is about. It's about the value you're going to get. And of course, you can't guarantee that. So how do you measure it? How do you measure it? I I'm, would measure it very much by the measure of success that the client had. Not necessarily monetarily, but oh, combination of things. Oh, no, for myself? No, for them. For the uh, client, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it could be monetarily if that's, if that's what turns out to be how they are going to measure success. And are there, are there life coaches uh, associations? Like, um, yeah. are you a group? Yeah, that would be a yeah. wild conference, I would think. There's it, a it is a wild conference, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really Fixing fun. Fixing each other, that would be great. Well, we don't really fix people, you know? We're, we don't see ourselves as fixing people. What we see ourselves as doing is helping people to get in touch with who they truly are and what their dreams really are and helping them find ways to achieve them, which may sound very general, but, but it is actually deeply specific to the individual, you know. So what I just said earlier about the measure of success, I mean, that will be exclusive to, unique to each individual person. And that's one of the early things that we'll do is figure out what exactly they want out of this. Are people, are some people better suited to work with a life coach than than others and do you know after the first meeting like yeah I know after the consultation because I don't sign anybody up until I've already spoken to them Um, I'm reasonably picky about who I work with because as I say you know nobody really needs a life coach they have to be very motivated to want one they have to be really committed they have to 
put their money where their mouth is and put their time where their mouth is and be prepared to do the work. And, you know, it, it I want to say is, I'm going to say can be, transformational work. It has been for me in my own life. I have a coach. I firmly believe oh, in so coaching. So coaches have coaches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, Why that's wouldn't we? I mean, we, I believe in it. I <laughs> it makes see sense. the results in my own life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now it's the time when we do the checklist. It's a part of the show. We take a little break and ask you a question you, you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So I'll start with Jeff. Uh, Jeff, what were your career plans when you were back in college? My career aspirations when I went yeah. to college was to play baseball. I, the fact that you're here, I would say that it, it didn't work out. Or <laughs> they, uh, no, you're wearing <laughs> cleats, which I thought was odd. But, uh, as, I, as, I, as I've told my daughters, they didn't cut me my junior and senior year. They only cut me my sophomore year. So oh, was, so eventually, like a mercy cut, or so eventually, yes. Apparently, not just a mercy cut. It was a very beneficial item for the team. The year after they cut me, they went to the College World Series. <laughs> Jeff, there's so nobody that's not, making that correlation. I am not happy with the way it went down. Now, Allie. Um, What's the worst decision you've ever made? Because you're a life coach, I have to ask you this. At the risk of inducing eye rolling, I have never made a terrible decision. Wow, you should because Jeff's eyes just rolled right in the back of his yeah, head. Yeah, I know, it, I'm concerned about it. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> yeah. I've never made a terrible decision because every decision I've ever made, even the ones that felt disastrous in the moment, like the time I dated the certifiably narcissistic alcoholic. Oh turned out to be something that I learned and grew from. And that sounds so Pollyanna-ish, I you know, learn not but it's to date. still true. Yes, right. absolutely. It is still true. <laughs> so if you can basically say, if you can learn from these mistakes, then they're not really... Uh, you know, we have to grieve. We have to feel it, absolutely, you know, when we make mistakes. But quite honestly, why would we live there? Why would we live in a place of regret, you know? It's done. <laughs> Allie, Jeff, let's do a round of one quick question. Uh, these are questions that have come in from listeners. I'm going to ask you one each. Uh, this question is for you, Allie. It came in on Twitter from Robert McClendon. He is the City Hall reporter for NOLA.com, Times Picayune. And Robert's question is simple, but I'm not sure that the answer is. Um, Robert asks, what is the key to developing positive habits and then making them stick? Oh, what a great question. That's very meaty indeed. How long have we got? Uh, about an hour. It's going yeah, to be fine. Yeah, okay, great. All right. Is Robert here, by the way? He's, I he's, he's in our him. studio audience, yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, and the neuroscientists who are listening will have to forgive me because I'm about to do a very once-over lightly. One of the big things about habits is about understanding how the mind works. Completely understanding that our mind, the, a part of our mind anyway, the reptilian part of the brain, is always looking to, uh, it, it resists fear, it resists change, it resists uncertainty, it resists particularly discomfort. So anything that, that brings those things on, the mind is going to resist. So when we understand that, then we move on to the next point, which is that um, we need to take this very, very slowly and make tiny, tiny adjustments. So what do we do? On January 1st every year, we say, I'm going to uh, learn French for an hour a day. I'm going to exercise every day, probably twice. I'm going to meditate every single morning. I mean, we're just setting ourselves up for disaster. So very small changes, tiny adjustments. Take it really slowly. Do one at a time. Um, attach triggers to new habits. So what that means is 
when I put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, I will put the toothbrush down and floss if we want to start flossing. So we attach it to something so that there's a trigger. When I do this, then I will do that. So that is a good reminder. And when we, when we fail to keep to our habits, which guess what, we will, we don't give up because we understand that mindset thing and we understand that our mind is trying to bring us back to a place of comfort and you know ease, which actually isn't really what we want. So increasing our willingness for discomfort is really important and getting back on the horse, not giving up. I wish I'd had you on the show on January 2nd. That would have, uh, that <laughs> yeah. would have helped a lot. Now, yeah, yeah. All right, now here's a question for you, Jeff. Actually, I combined two questions, uh, one from Zach Monroe and the other from Desiree Marie, uh, both on Twitter. What's one quick and easy tip for getting over public speaking anxiety? And is it true it helps, uh, it eases the anxiety if you picture your audience naked? Is that what you do, Jeff? Tell our students. <laughs> Zach <laughs> and Desiree, the picturing your audience in their skivvies or looking over their head are two of the worst pieces of advice oh. you could ever get. Oh, I'll give you the best piece of advice I've ever heard. It's not about you. It's not if about you simply focus even though you're on the any speech, the no, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with your audience. Just like what you're doing today has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the entertainment value you provide to your audience. So if you can just take all that fear and anxiety off yourself by focusing all your attention on the audience, and how could you be focusing your attention on the audience if you were looking over their heads? And imagine how creepy it would be if they thought you were looking at them making eye contact and you were thinking the other thing that Desiree and Zach thought was helpful. About the underwear. Yeah, yeah that yeah. just messes things Kinda up. By the way, <laughs> everything <laughs> that, that Allie was talking about, my daughter attended Tulane, neuroscience graduate from Tulane, now working on her doctorate, and oh I agree goodness. wholeheartedly. For adult oh. learners, that anchor she was talking mm -hmm. about, the trigger, the hook, for anchoring is an important skill for adult learners, and that's why, as you know, as a professional speaker, stories are so powerful. You have that story that anchors the point you're trying to make. Yeah. So first and foremost, it's not about you. If you're from the Northeast, learn to pause, take a drink of water so <laughs> folks can follow you, <laughs> and then tell a story that makes a point that's yeah. a, a critical a component, especially for adult learners, anchoring the thought process. What about that other part people talk about where they're physically shaking? Should they grab a hold of the podium or? <laughs> physically shaking is a different issue, but let me give another piece of advice. Uh, Dr. Smedley, who's the founder of Toastmasters 91 years ago, his big thing was if you are unprepared, you have a reason to be nervous. <laughs> oh so many times so you ask someone, why are they so nervous? Well, it's because they're unprepared. So preparation it won't is about you. Preparation <laughs> will take care of some of that. But other things, I've seen speakers that will stand and just gather. You need to get some oxygen. You need to have had some fluids in you. You need to have had something to eat. You just need to be as relaxed as possible. So three or four quick, deep cleansing breaths probably helps you to calm down. And you know, I always try to look for a person that's paying attention and try to focus on them. Do you ever do that? Uh, Absolutely. There's, yeah. no there's no point. And if the person's not paying attention, there's no point in lingering there very long. <laughs> Move on. Yeah, and, and deciding how long you can linger in someone's gaze is another skill. So you could make a single point. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's very poetic. But well, you could make a single how point. How long can I linger? <laughs> you could make a point to a specific individual, and then when you're finished, you can transition to the other person. Wow. Not like a sprinkler head where you go, make a point, make a point, make a point, make a point, and then flashback. Make a point, make a point, make a point. That's an excellent visual. So again, the key for Zach and Desiree would be, Zach and Desiree, it's not about you. 
It's all about the audience. On the other hand, if it is a sprinkler, it's good they're in their underwear because they can at least right. enjoy it. So that's uh, the Allie Duffy, Jeff Harris, uh, figuring, <laughs> figuring out what we want to do when we grow up can be deceptively difficult. Communicating our plans to others can be equally challenging. Although they're both elements of our lives that are essential to our happiness, we typically don't devote much time to working on them. I'm sure some of what you've said today has already been helpful to people listening to our conversation. Thank you both for that generosity and for taking the time to join Man Out to Lunch. Thank you Thank for inviting us. Thank you so much. Wonderful. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jeff Harris, Distinguished Toastmaster at Toastmasters International, and Ali Duffy, Master Certified Life Coach at Ali Duffy Coaching. You can find out more about Ali's lessons in life coaching and Jeff's powers of public speaking by following the links at our websites. It's itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. And yes, Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Matthew Ellefson. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's latest record, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, that might be, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp, 